Good morning. Last week uh, we were in First Thessalonians chapter one, and if you remember, the um, focus of Paul was on gospel fruit, the fruit that the proclamation of gospel produces, namely faith, love, hope, and joy. This week, in chapter 2, what we will see is that the emphasis that Paul has given in this chapter is gospel ministry. So in chapter 1, he talks about how people received the gospel. In chapter 2, Paul talks about how he served the people at Thessalonica. And so with that in mind, let us look to chapter 2, but I just want to give us uh, the context of this chapter. The ministry at Thessalonica did not end well. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were encouraged to leave the city because of persecution. The critics took advantage of the departure to discredit them. They would have sneered. Look, your friends Paul, Silas, Timothy, they've run for safety. Where are they now? Do you think they were sincere people? They were here with you and now they're gone. Looks like there are just a bunch of greedy people who came here to get things from you. Maybe money. Maybe form a fan club. Maybe for fame. They don't care about you. If they did, they would have been with you right now in your struggles. They're probably like the Roman itinerant preachers who come to get things from people. And so they would use deceptive means to hoard money. Where are your friends now? They would have been saying. And so in this chapter, in chapter 2, Paul decides to talk about how they conducted themselves while they were with the church. How they came, worked, behaved, and served the church. The first part of this chapter which is what we're going to look at, verses 1 to 16, then is the defense of how they did their gospel ministry. And the way Paul structures this, these 16 verses is quite interesting. He states the negative first, and then he responds with a positive statement. He says, well, it was a difficult situation, but we shared in much conflict. We did not deceive, but we spoke. We were not greedy for things or for fame, but we gave our own selves. So Paul's response in this chapter teaches us much about what gospel ministry looks like. And so what I'd like to do this morning is to talk about how Paul describes gospel ministry in 1 Thessalonians 2 verses 1 to 16. But before I do that, I'd like to answer the question, what is gospel ministry? Well, gospel ministry is ministry that seeks to spread the gospel. It is ministry that is shaped or informed by your understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll be using this expression quite a few times in the sermon. So just keep this in your mind that gospel, what I mean by gospel ministry is ministry that seeks to spread the gospel. So let's dive into chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. 
What does Paul write to us about gospel ministry? Number one, he says, gospel ministry begins with going. And that's in verse one. It says, for you yourselves know, brothers that are coming to you was not in vain. Paul, Silas, and Timothy went to the city. Gospel ministry involves an action, moving toward people. Isn't that the way you begin your obedience to the great commission of Jesus Christ? Jesus said, go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And you go because going to people is the way people will hear about Jesus. Didn't Paul say that in Romans chapter 10? It says, how can you, sorry, how can they believe without hearing about Jesus? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent or unless they go to people? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So faith comes from what is heard and what is heard through the message about Christ. Gospel ministry begins with going. Going with an intention that people will hear and know Jesus. You're probably asking the question, who do I go to? Maybe that friend who sits right next to you in your office. Maybe the watchman in your building. Maybe that security guard who guards your building at night. Maybe the person you meet every week in the supermarket. Maybe the cab driver who just took you around the city yesterday. Maybe your classmate. Maybe your neighbor, the neighbor that God has put around you. Maybe that person who comes to your house to help clean your house. Maybe it's the person sitting right next to you now. Jesus said, go. Gospel ministry begins with going. Two. Gospel ministry includes suffering. This is verse 2. So gospel ministry begins with going. Gospel ministry includes suffering. Let me read verse 2 for us. But though we were, sorry, though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. You see, in Philippi, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were beaten up and they were put in the prison. It was not easy for them at Philippi. And then they came to Thessalonica, a new city, different people, new faces. And then when they come to the city, they shared the gospel. Some people believed, but there was opposition. Interestingly, challenges didn't stop them from sharing the gospel. In fact, Paul says they shared in the midst of much conflict. And we must be asking, why much conflict in the city? Because of the gospel. 
you can anticipate rejection or mockery because of the gospel. The gospel says that you and I are weak and in need of help. We don't like to hear that. The gospel says that we are idolaters and deserve judgment. We don't enjoy listening to such things told us about us. The gospel says that no effort of ours can save us. Who wants to hear such a thing? Do you remember the words of Jesus? He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. They will treat you this way because of my name. So there is going to be conflict at home. Challenges at home, in your workplace, in your class, from your friends. Because Jesus said that. And conflicts are going to look different. Challenges are going to look different for different people. Maybe it might be a promotion in your office. It might cost you your promotion. Maybe it might be your friend who wants to distance himself from you. Maybe it's your classmate who calls you Jesus in the class when your name is really not Jesus. But many a gospel opportunity has been lost because we have preferred our status over Jesus' name. We have preferred our approval over the honor of Jesus. And probably some of us seated here are wondering, how do I fight fear then? As I think about sharing the gospel, how do, I, how do I do this? I don't want us to miss the encouragement in this verse. So look carefully at verse 2. He says, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel in the midst of much conflict. So Paul says conflicts. Yes, much conflicts did not crush us or silence us. We spoke. We spoke the gospel because our boldness was in God. That God was with us in gospel ministry. And that he will give us strength and words to speak in our suffering. And so when we face challenges in gospel ministry, God gives us strength in gospel ministry for his glory. Jesus says that in Matthew 10. You will be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how. Or what you are to speak. For you will be given. I want to say that again. Jesus says this. For you will be given what to say at that hour. Because it isn't you speaking. But the spirit of your father speaking through you. Did you hear that? This is Jesus saying. You will be given. If gospel ministry includes suffering. It also comes with strength to face suffering. So when you're thinking of challenges, cling to the promise, you will be given. Jesus said that, and go. God is with you. Maybe you are talking to someone in your office. Maybe you are talking to your spouse, and you've received questions, and you really do not know how to respond. You really don't have answers to all this question, these questions, and you just want to quit. Jesus said, you will be given. Believe in that.
Or maybe you want to talk, but you are scared. There are hundreds of conflicting thoughts in your mind, waging war with each other. Will I fail? Will I lose a friend? What will my friend think about me? What will my friend talk to other friends of mine? Will my friend understand me? Will my friend get angry at me? Brothers and sisters, listen to the promise of Jesus. You will be given. Gospel ministry includes suffering. It also includes strength in your suffering. Gospel ministry begins with going. Gospel ministry includes suffering and strength in your suffering. Third, gospel ministry is not for your sake. Gospel ministry is not for your sake. This is verses 3 to 6. Let me read a few verses for us. Verse 3, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Verse 5, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor, did, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. When afflictions arose, they were not quick to run. They stayed and they spoke. That is sufficient proof that they were not there to spread lies. They were not there to mislead anyone. Their motives were pure, says Paul. They didn't have any secret ambition or agenda. They spoke from a sincere heart. In fact, they didn't even try any secret method to convert people. They spoke the truth. Their motives were pure and they were sincere. And Paul says, you know that. You know that. Because of the manner in which we spoke, we didn't use any flattering words. Now, why would one want to use flattering words in gospel ministry? Why flatter people? Well, we flatter so that we will get something out of it. So that people will like us. So that people will talk about how nice we are and how godly we are. So flattery is deception in words. You use words for selfish gain. And when we flatter, we are not seeking others as good but ours. And so a flattering person is a selfish person. Paul says he is a greedy person. Greedy people wear masks and they pretend like they love us, but they don't. They don't. Paul says greedy people are glory lovers. Verse 6. They want to be known. They want the stage. People should flock around them. And so they flatter. People should seek after them. They are hungry for compliments. They are never happy when others succeed. They think that ministry cannot survive without them. They are self-obsessed people, so they will flatter because they are greedy for their glory. And Paul says, that's not us. That's not us. Verse 4. We came there because God had approved us to be entrusted with the gospel of God. 
God did not approve and entrust his gospel to us for our glory. He entrusted it to us so that through the proclamation of the gospel, he is known and he is enjoyed and he is loved and he is worshipped. Therefore, Paul says that we were not there for our glory. We were there for God's glory. We were not there because we wanted something from you. We were there because we had something for you, the gospel of God. And as stewards of God's gospel, we were there to please God and not man. And the way we please God is by pointing people to God, not us. Is there something in this passage that will help us fight the temptation to flatter with our words? Look carefully at this passage. Paul says in verse 4, latter part, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. God is like the surgeon. Our hearts are just open before him. No thought of ours, no words of ours, no motive of ours is hidden from him. He knows what we say, when we say, how we say, and why we say in a particular way. He knows the heart behind that. Isn't that a powerful truth to save us from seeking our glory with flattery from greed? God sees our hearts always. And so Paul's point is that gospel ministry is not for your sake. Gospel ministry is not about us. It is not telling people that they need us, but telling people that they need God. Gospel ministry exists for the glory of God. Gospel ministry exists for the worship of God. Don't compete with God. We will lose. So Paul tells us that gospel ministry begins by going. Gospel ministry involves sacrifice. Gospel ministry is not for our sake. For gospel ministry is marked by familial love, family-like love. Verses 7 to 12. You know, the critics said that Paul, Silas, and Timothy don't love them. You see, they left. They're not here with you. And so in response to these allegations, Paul talks about the kind of love they had for the believers in Thessalonica. He says that their love for the Thessalonians was like the love of a mother. So let me read for us a few verses from verse 7. This is verse 7. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Verse 11, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And Paul says that our love for you was like the love of a mother. A mother's love is marked by tenderness. She is gentle. And it is obvious in in the tone 
of her voice, in her facial expressions, and even in the way she touches her child. So Paul says in verse 8, you became so dear to us and therefore like the mother, we took great delight in not only sharing the gospel with you, but also our own selves. You see, we were among you, not away from you. We didn't just give you the gospel, we gave our own selves to you. We had needs, verse 8, we really had needs, but like the mother, We worked hard so that you won't be burdened by our needs. Like the mother, we took great delight in giving ourselves to you. We could have, as apostles, asked you to help us meet with our needs. But like the mother, we chose to serve. We chose to give. And we loved it, says Paul. You see, when love rules your heart, You will enjoy laying down your life for the good of people. When love rules your heart, no burden can keep you from the pleasure that giving brings. Laying down your life will not be a burden but a joy because you seek the good of the recipient. Brothers and sisters, I want you to look around and Think of your fellow church members. Do you hold them dearly in your hearts? Do you love, just love to sacrifice your time for them? Your own comfort for their good? Or do you assign them to others because loving them means sacrifice from your part? Do you you just enjoy your brothers and sisters, irrespective of what background they come from or what culture they come from? When you know of your fellow brother or sister who's probably grieving or hurting or in pain, are you compelled in your heart to just run to them like the mother does? And to just show them compassion. But just being with them. And showing them love. Like the mother does. That's what family members do. That's what Paul did. And Paul says in verse 10. You know. You know these things. You saw it. You, you heard us. You know how we conducted ourselves toward you. We never cheated you. We were righteous in our behavior toward you. We taught you by example just like the Father does. Verse 11. The picture is is that of a father who gives attention to each of his children and trains them according to their individual needs. He says he encouraged them and he pleaded with them. He comforted them and he kept urging them to walk in a manner worthy of God. That's his goal. Not that you become worthy for God, but that you live like God is worthy of worship. That through obedient life. And this was Paul's desire. Like the father does, he, he sat with each one of them. We're having a small church. He sat 
He spent time with them without any discrimination, whether you're a Jew or an idolater, whether you're a pagan, whether you have a pagan background, you are in Christ. I'm going to spend time with you like the Father does. And he taught them and he explained things to them and he gave them direction and kept pleading day after day after day after day with patience. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That is direction. Because if you look at verse uh, 12, the latter part, he says, God, worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That's future. This is like the father who walks with his child and gives him direction. I want you to run that way. I want you to be there. And I'm going to run with you so that you get there. That's what the father does. And he runs with the child. Because he wants the child there. This is, this is how gospel ministry looks like in the church. Family-like love. Isn't that how we treat our brothers and sisters in our home, our parents, dad, mom? When, you come to, when we get to know something's wrong, whether it's dad, mom, brother, sister, we just call them. We don't, we don't wait for them to do anything. We just call them, run to them, reach out to them, ask them, be with them, want to know what's happening, and want to rescue them from the mess they are in. Don't we do that with our family members? Gospel ministry is marked by family-like love. Maybe you desire to help, but you don't want to commit. Because it can get messy. That is not father-like love. A good father comes to his child and meets the child in the, the mess that the child is in and gets the child out of that mess. That's father-like love. Isn't that what the gospel is? Jesus entered our mess. He never shied away from our mess. He was drawn to us in our mess. And he rescued us from our mess. And he is rescuing us. Would we shy away from those who need help now? Would we? Gospel ministry is marked by family-like love. And finally, gospel ministry is God-centered ministry. The last part of verse 12 to 16, gospel ministry is God-centered ministry. Let me just read for us verse 13, actually. Paul writes, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers, you who believe. What does it mean when we say that gospel ministry is God-centered ministry? Well, I think this passage makes it clear that gospel ministry makes no sense without God. We do gospel ministry because it pleases God. This passage says that. 
And when we go, we share no other message other than the gospel of God. This passage says that too. And what is powerfully at work in people is the word of God, which is the verse that we just read. And I want us to see the power of the word. Verse 14, for you brothers became imitators of what it means to suffer with joy. God's word at work in them made them imitators of other churches in that they were willing to suffer for the sake of God. Do you see, do you see what the word can actually do? It gave them the strength to face suffering with conviction. And I think the reason this is mentioned here is for us to know that we can hope in God's word to produce fruit in ministry. We can and we should. So keep sowing the word. Sow the word. Let the word do its work. We sow the word because we want people to know God. But this passage also says that no one will know God unless God calls them. Verse 12 and the latter part. says, in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. No one will enter the kingdom of God unless God calls them into their kingdom. And so our hope in gospel ministry is the work of God. We are stewards of God, sent by God, with the strength from God, sharing the word of God, telling people to turn to God, trusting in the power of God for the glory of God. This is what gospel ministry is. Gospel ministry is God-centered ministry. But before we end can we just take a minute to look at Jesus? Because none of these things will make sense without him. Gospel ministry makes sense because of Jesus. I actually began by saying that gospel ministry begins by going. The gospel is about God coming to us. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. God dwelt among us. God came. I also said that gospel ministry includes suffering. Jesus embraced suffering, rejection, mockery, abandonment, betrayal, loneliness, pain, and finally death. Well, why did Jesus suffer? For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he could bring us to God. Jesus suffered for our good. And then I said that gospel ministry is marked by family-like love. When Jesus saw the leper, he did not say, you. He touched them. That's what a mother does. He had compassion on the lost. He walked with people who doubted him. He even cooked food for his own disciples. This is what family members do. And so Jesus imitates what family-like love is for us. And then I concluded by saying the gospel ministry is God-centered ministry. Jesus was the most God-centered person. He said, my food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me 
and to finish his work. And as he considered the work that Jesus had for him, sorry, the father had for him, Jesus said, now is my soul troubled. Jesus said, my my soul is actually troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Jesus is about to take the wrath of God upon himself. And he says, Father, shall I say, remove this hour from me. And Jesus answers his own question by saying, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. So Father, glorify your name. If it means that I must suffer, take me through this. And so in John 17, when Jesus prays, he prays with confidence. Father, I glorified you on earth. Having accomplished the work that you gave me, Jesus is the most God-centered person. And because he is the most God-centered person, you and I have salvation. We will not otherwise. Would we therefore go as stewards of God with the strength from God, sharing the word of God, and tell people to turn to God through the Son of God for the glory of God? Let's pray. Father, we don't come to you as people who have perfectly and completely understood your love for us. We believe in what you have done. You sent your son, Jesus. God came to us. He lived a perfect life. And Jesus, you died selflessly. And then you rose again victoriously for our good. And so we pray, Father, that out of grace, through your Spirit's work, you would cause us to see the glory there is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we see that, Teach us what it means to go, to go and tell people about Jesus and what it means to embrace suffering for the sake of the gospel. Remind us, O sovereign God, that you are with us and that is enough. And so we pray that we will celebrate Christ, your son, even as we partake from the table this afternoon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.